So um, I'm sharing tonight on the title. I went back and forth on the title. I'm not sure if this is the right one, but Connected to, to the God Who Never Stops Loving Me. So we're going to be talking about how to be connected to God and the fact that he never, ever stops loving me. So over the last, gosh, I don't even know, maybe six months to a year, there's been these resonating themes. I'm a little slow, so the Lord can't just tell me something once. He's got to, like, speak to me, like, over and over for a long amount of time and tell me, like, oh, I get it. I I see what you're saying. Um, So some of these themes that he's been sharing with me is about God's love for his people. And it sounds so simple, but it's really about his people. And in a culture, we have so many things pouring into us. It's about this. No, it's about this. No, it's about this. It's about money. It's about, it's about, no, it's not. It's about his people, period. That's what we're here for. Not just as pastors, as Christians. That's, that is our main thing. It's about him and it's about his people. He's been speaking a lot to me about redemption, about the fact that we all need to be redeemed. We all. He paid that price so that we all could benefit from that. Um, about I was talking to Jennifer about this a lot. What we feel versus what we know. Because a lot of times we're driven, and our culture also helps with that. Oh, it's about how you feel. Go get a massage. You need that. It's all right. Take the day off, right? It's all like make you feel good stuff, which part of that isn't that bad. But if you live your life like that, that's not going to get you anywhere. But what we know to be true is this. So living a life of what we feel versus what we know to be true. So I've been stirred by this, and I've been pondering all of these things for a while now. Um, And then the Lord took me to Romans. Some of you who've been here a while might laugh because we've been in the book of Romans a lot here at Impact Rock Church. Um, Romans 8, if you want to turn there, we're going to camp out in Romans 8 for the day. Um, But the book of Romans is a letter that Paul wrote to the church in Rome. The church in Rome, he had actually never even been there. There was this church thriving in Rome. Paul was traveling from town to town, city to city, preaching, sharing, ministering, training, doing all the things that he was doing, starting churches. And this church in Rome, he kept trying to get there and couldn't physically get there. So he decided to write a letter to this church. Um, He had met some of the people that came out of that church but hadn't actually been there himself. The letter's intent was to introduce himself and all the things that he thought and knew about God. So the whole book of Romans, he's writing to this church that he hasn't actually been to, going, hey, here's who I am. Because people all around had heard rumors about Paul, and he wanted to set the record straight. Here's who I am, here's what I believe in, and here's the gospel of Christ. So that's what the book of Romans is all about. Um, The book of Romans is a great exposition of Christian doctrine, It's orderly, logical development of profound theological truths. These are big words for me, huh? Uh, Themes of redemption, the guilt of mankind, redeeming death of Christ, and the free gift of salvation received by faith alone. So a lot of these same themes that I have been feeling the Lord just stirring in my heart when I was kind of looking over the book of Romans, reading commentaries and studying, I was like, oh, it's all right here in the book of Romans. Isn't that exciting? So Impact Rock, when we first started praying about the church, what does the church look like? What do we want it to look like? What do we feel like God is calling Impact Rock to? Before it was ever born and we're driving around town, still involved at our other church, what, what is this thing going to look like? God took us to Romans 12, and Mark preached out of Romans 12 for 
weeks. I don't, I don't even know how many weeks, like weeks and weeks and weeks and weeks. Even our banners right there, Romans 12, on our website, Romans 12, a lot of it is Romans 12. And if you go through and read the book and really study, it is the foundations of what we believe, why we believe, all of the different things. It's all in there. And Paul's such a, such a great writer that it just makes it such a great book. All right, so starting in verse 24, so we're in Romans 8, verse 24. We're going to read a lot of scripture today, so hang in there with me. Verse 24. For we were saved in this hope, but hope that is seen is not hope. For why does one still hope for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we eagerly wait for it with perseverance. Likewise, the Spirit also helps us in our weakness, for we do not know what we should pray. For as we ought, but the Spirit himself makes intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. All right, I'm going to stop right there. So that word hope, when Paul speaks of hope, it's a complex emotion made up of an earnest desire and an expectation of obtaining an object, right? So when you hope for something, you can't just go grab it. It's like, oh, I hope this, or I really hope that will work out. It's something that's over there that you're hoping for, but you can't quite, it's not quite tan- tangible, right? It's kind of over there. You're kind of hoping for it. It's the object of hope, the things hoped for that is not seen yet. Hope enables us to bear trials. How many trials have we been in? And they're painting. But over there, I hope that that happens. If I could just hope for this, I can make it through where I'm at, right? So hope serves a great purpose. We are persevered by hope. When those seasons are in our life and we just are like, goodness gracious, is it ever going to end? It's God's way of going, you can make it. You can persevere. Just hold on because see what I have? And isn't that cool that the Lord kind of dangles it out there so you're like, oh, and we start focusing on what he wants and then this isn't so bad because we know that he has a plan over here. So this is just kind of going through things about hope and that we hope for them. So verse 27 Now he who searches the hearts knows what the mind of the Spirit is, because he makes intercession for the saints according to the will of God. And we know that all things work together for the good of those who love God and who are called according to his purpose. So these two scriptures are two of my favorites, especially the uh, verse 28. But if you think about this, verse 27, he who searches the hearts, so that's the Lord, knows what the mind of the Spirit is because he makes intercession for the saints, that's us, according to the will of God. So when I pray for my kids or I pray for you or I pray for people or whatever, I'm praying according to what I think is best. Do you guys do that? And then most of the time I go, oh, oh, Lord, I pray your will for Amy. (laughs) Your will, not my will, not what I think is great. Because my my plans might be great. We've talked about this before. Our plans are great, but they don't always work out because his plans are better. He's got the plan. And so when he prays, he's praying according to what the Spirit already knows. And he's also praying according to the will of God. Thank you. (laughs) I'll say thank you. He always. So we have someone interceding for us day in and day out all the time with the Spirit of what he already knows in mind and the will of God for our lives. Isn't that amazing? I'm very thankful for that. Right after that, 
It says, And we know that all things work together for the good of those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. Why do you think that scripture comes right after the scripture that says he makes intercession for us? Because if he's praying the will of God over us all the time and we come into unity with that, and we can ignore it, right? We could be like, yeah, yeah, whatever, I'm going over here. We have that choice. We do that a lot. I do that a lot, right? But if we get in line with that and go, oh, yeah, I don't know really what the will of God is in this, but I'm going to pray the will of God. Lord, your will be done in my life. We start speaking the scripture. We start praying the word. And before we know it, we find ourselves smack dab in the middle of what God's doing. The next scripture says, all things work together for the good of those who love God and who are called according to his purpose. So those go hand in hand. A lot of times we try to quote the 28, 828 saying, all things work together, but we're over here in sin. But all things work together for the good of those who love God and who are called according to his purpose. I've done it my whole life. That's been my theme song. But I'm, I'm in sin or I'm in rebellion. And the Lord's like, okay, <laughs> she'll come around. But it comes right after the scripture that says he's interce- interceding for us according to the will of God, with the, what the Spirit knows and has in mind for us. So it's when we get in the will of God that all things work together for the good of those who love God and who are called according to his purpose. Amen? All right. Let's see here. In verse 28, that word purpose means a setting forth. It suggests a deliberate plan, a proposition, an advanced plan, an intention, and a design. Who are called according to his deliberate plan, to his proposition, to his plan in advance, to his intentions, to his design. Doesn't that sound wonderful? All right, let's skip down to, or go to the next verse, verse 29. We're going to read through 30. For whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. Moreover, whom he predestined, these he also called. Whom he called, he also justified. And whom he justified, these things he also glorified. Now, these scriptures get me fired up because I taught preschool and I love kids. And when you teach kids, you have to be very specific and you have to kind of be progressive in the way you tell them things. You can't just say, you know, go get ready and meet me in the car. You have to be like, okay, get your shoes on and get your coat on and then get your backpack and open the door and then sit in the car and close it and don't get out until I get there, right? You have to kind of lay it out for them, right? This is what the Lord is doing here. So let's break this down. For whom he foreknew, those are the people that he thought of in a personal saving relationship to know beforehand. So for those he foreknew, that's us, before the beginning of time, he foreknew it. He already thought of it. He already thought of it beforehand. To be conformed, to contour, to bring harmony or accord to the image of his son. So he brings us into accord and harmony with his son, with his son Jesus that he might be the firstborn, that's Jesus, among the brethren. So we get to follow his lead. Jesus, obviously, is our example. Moreover, whom he predestined, again, that's determined before, ordained, planned that they would be like Christ, to invest officially with ministerial or priestly authority. So he predestined. He also called. That means those who accept the redemptive acts of Christ, including his death, 
his resurrection, his ascension, and his life. Whom he called, he also justified. Justified means he pardoned their sins. He just took them away for those who repent and turn to him. And then it says, And whom he justified, these he also glorified. Glorified means to render glory or to glorify. Both mean to render illustrious, eminent, etc. Seems to mean that those whom God had called into a state of justification, he had rendered illustrious gifts, graces, and privileges in the same manner he did with the Israelites of old. So when he... And this confuses me because I don't think we're supposed to be glorified, right? We're like, no, he's supposed to be glorified. But because of who he is, and he gives us all that, the Bible says that we're heirs and joint heirs of Christ, that we are we are in unity with him, we are in his likeness. Those things, when we start looking like him, we start talking like him, we start reading the word, and we start getting all ingrained in who he is, and we let that flow through us, we start reflecting who he is. And so I love this progression of the things that he's telling us. He already knew us. He foreknew us. Then he predestined us. He already said from beginning of time, I'm putting this authority here. He conformed. He brought us into harmony with his, with his son to be like Christ, to be the, he's the model. He called us. He justified us because we repented and he has pardoned our sins. And to be glorified that he gives us those same privileges and gifts because we're his children. Isn't that beautiful? That he does all those things. Okay, so this next portion right here, Romans 8, 31 through 39, is what I call Paul's Q&A. If you read these next passages, which we will, Paul asks all sorts of questions, and sometimes he answers his own questions with another question, and sometimes he actually gives an answer. And this is exactly how I parent my children. Right? You like ask them a bunch of questions and you're like, but let me tell you. And you don't really want their answer. You're like, okay, I'm going to ask you a question and then I'm going to tell you the answer and then I'm going to ask you another question that's supposed to answer that question. Is that confusing? I do that. I confuse my children too. All right, so these passages, let's go ahead and read verse 31. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but delivered him up from us all, how shall he not with him also freely give all things to us? Who shall bring a charge against God's elect? Is it God who justifies? Who is he who condemns? Is it Christ who died? And furthermore, is also risen, who is even at the right hand of God, who also makes intercession for us? Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword as it is written, for your sake we are all killed all day long. We are counted as sheep for the slaughter. Yet in all things we are more than conquerors through Christ who loved us. For I am persuaded that neither death nor life, nor angels nor principalities, nor powers nor things present or things not yet to come, nor height nor depth, nor any other created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. That fires me up. You can tell that Paul, during this time, he is fired up. He's passionate. He's writing a letter to people he does not even know in Rome who have gossiped about him and spread rumors about him. And he's like, let me set you straight. Here's who I am. Here's what I believe. But better yet, listen to this. And he has all these questions for him. So here's the Q&A. His first question is, so what do you think? As if the Romans can really answer him. He's writing a letter, right? So what do you think? With God on our side like this, how can we lose? 
So here's his answer slash question. If God didn't hesitate to put everything on the line for us, embracing our condition and exposing himself to the worst by sending his own son, is there anything else he wouldn't gladly and freely do for us? So that's the answer to the question, how can we lose? His next question, and who would dare tangle with God by messing with one of God's chosen? Who would dare even point a finger? This is a message Bible, by the way. He's getting all fired up. His answer was, the one who died for us, who was raised to life for us, and in the presence of God at this very moment, sticking up for us. That's who? His next question, do you think anyone is going to be able to drive a wedge between us and Christ's love for us? There is no way. Not trouble, not hard times, not hatred, not hunger, not homelessness, not bullying threats, not backstabbing, not even the worst sins listed in Scripture. And they talk about killing and stuff right there. None of these phases us because Jesus loves us. I'm absolutely convinced that nothing, nothing, living or dead, angelic or demonic, today or tomorrow, high or low, thinkable or unthinkable, absolutely nothing can get between us and God's love because of the way that Jesus, our master, has embraced us. Woo! Is that going to do fired up? Is that exciting? You guys are very sleepy, but I'm excited. That makes me very happy. So Paul, in this, he's asking all these questions. Who can separate us? Who dare points a finger? How many times do you feel the enemy going, you, you're not worthy. Mm -mm. Remember what you did yesterday? Remember how you hollered at your kids? Remember how you stole that pencil at work? Remember, remember, remember? Right? And he just does this all day, and you're like, I know, I know. Before you know it, you're like, ah, we're not worthy. We're not worthy. But it's God... And I love this. At the very end of this, he says, because after all that stuff, he's very passionate about, because of the way that Jesus, our master, has embraced us. We don't have to do a darn thing but accept that love and say, I'm not worthy. It's all about you. It's not about me. I don't have to perform. I don't have to check all the boxes. I don't have to do everything right. I don't have to have to have to. I just have to open up my heart. And I have to just let him in, line up with that will of God that we talked about, and boom. This is, this is what happens. We have this Jesus guy interceding for us day and night, praying the will of God for us, that we don't fall, that we don't fail, that we prosper, that he has good things for us, that nothing can separate us from that love. So my question is, how do we become or stay connected to a God who never stops loving us. How many times have we been on fire for God or on the right track, and then all of a sudden life gets hard, we start working extra hours, whatever, we get sick, the burdens get heavy, and before we know it, we're over here and we're kind of like, oh, I feel a little disconnected from the Lord right now. How do we stay in that place where we're connected to him regardless? Remember last time I talked, we talked about resolve, about living that steady life where life goes up and down, but it shouldn't go up and then down and then up. It should, it should be able to stay somewhere in the middle where God's just that steady force that drives our life, right? When we talk about the things, how we feel, we feel a lot of things. And you know what? God designed us to feel. That's not bad. We're supposed to feel. We felt all sorts of, Jesus felt all sorts of emotions. We're supposed to feel. 
but we're not supposed to be living by our feelings and our emotions, right? We're supposed to be living the word of God. So if this says, who dare points a finger at you? Yeah, daddy. Who dares point a finger at me? Rotten on me. Dare you. I dare you. Right? God's on our side. Who can be against us? Right? But we get so beaten down and then we start believing all these lies instead of believing what this, this is the truth. On my bad days, this is what I read. Because if I don't, I'm ugly. I'm nasty mommy. You know? We get kind of ugly, don't we? But I have to, I have to keep in this. I have to keep worship on. I have to keep focused. Because if I don't, I just tend to start looking like the world. But I don't want to look like the world. I want to look like him. All right. So I have verse 39. We did get that far, yeah. So verse 39 where it says, um, from the love of God, this is the New Living, or the New King James, from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. When I was growing up, I always heard these, well, they were cheesy at the time. I, I'm sorry, they were cheesy. But they were songs about in Christ, in Christ, in Christ. I'm like, what? What's this in Christ stuff? I never understood that. You know, as a kid, you're just like, that's weird. Well, then when you learn it's in the Word, you're like, oh, that explains it. But, which is in Christ, in Romans 8:39. one of my favorite commentaries, Barnes, he wrote this. Which is produced and secured by his work, of which he is the bond, the connecting link. It was caused by his mediation. It is secured by his influence. It is in and through him and him alone that men love God. There is no true love of God which is not produced by the work of Christ. There is no man who truly loves the Father who does not do it in and by the Son. This is the whole basis of what makes us different as Christians. There are hundreds of religions, idols, things, and they all come up empty-handed because... They're trying to get to God, but they're missing the connecting link. The word of God says there's one way to God, the Father, through Jesus Christ, the Son. There's one connecting link. So it is in Christ that we are able to keep that connection. John 14:6 says, Jesus said to him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. So we need to embrace him. Jesus is the answer. He is the way. It is only by the work that, w- that he had done when he was sent and he died and he paid the price and he rose victoriously and now he's in the throne room making intercession for us on our behalf. That's how much he loves us. He didn't just die. He didn't just raise from the dead and do all the cool things. He's now still working on our behalf day in and day out. He doesn't forget about us for one minute. Don't you think that was enough? He could just be like, I died. Now, you know, choose me. (laughs) He's still working on our behalf all the time. Right? So here's what we know. God loves us. And there are lots of scriptures to support all of these. I just picked the ones that I like. 1 John 3.1 tells us that God loves us. He sent his only son to die for us. It's my kid's favorite scripture, John 3.16. He has a plan for us. Jeremiah 29:11. Nothing can separate us from the love of God. That's the one we just read, Romans 8:39. So what do we feel that is contrary to these truths? 
we're just going to take a minute. Mike, would you hop on the guitar, please? We're going to take a minute, minute, and we're just going to think about those things that we feel. Like I said, feelings aren't bad. They just can't run our lives. Because they'll run us amok, won't they? We'll be a mess. I, I can tell you when I'm a mess. I'm like, yep, feeling like this and that, and I just let it get a hold of my heart. We're not supposed to be run by our feelings and emotions and by the world and all of these other things. This, this is what we know. This is what's true. This is, this is me. This is you. This is us. This is why we're here. It's not about what we feel. So tonight, if you're feeling unworthy, if you're feeling lonely, if you're feeling depressed, if you're feeling tired and weak and you just want to say, I'm done. I'm done. I tried. I'm tired. If this is all life has for me, I'm done. I have felt like that before. You want to throw in the towel and be like, whatever. If you're hurting, if you're stressed, if you're at a financial crisis and you don't know what to do, whatever. Those are real. And those are how we feel. But those aren't necessarily the truth. Right? That's not necessarily what my God says about our situation. Because you see, he paid a price. And he didn't die in vain. He didn't die so that we could feel sad and depressed and so we could feel unworthy and lonely and all these things that we feel. He died so that we might have life and have it more abundantly. He said he foreknew us. He predestined. He justified. He called. He died for us. And we're walking around with our heads hanging because of how we feel. We've got to pick up our heads and say, you know what? My daddy loves me. And Jesus is sitting up there. It doesn't matter how messed up I am right now. He's still up there going, bless her. Prosper her. Call her according to your purpose. Raise her up in the things of God. Pour life on her. He's doing that right now for each one of us. He's begging the Father. Father, touch them. Mold them. Grow them. Prosper them. Make them in my image. Make them look like me, God. He's making intercession. So we need to lift our heads and focus on the one who is worthy. And when we do that, the situations and our feelings, all of a sudden, doesn't feel so bad. Have you ever prayed and nothing changed? But all of a sudden you're like, ah, I'm good. Mark will pray for me sometimes. I'm like, don't pray for me. And he's like, I'm going to pray for you. I'm like, just leave me alone. And he prays for me. And then I'm like, okay, fine. And he leaves. And then I'm like, dang, I feel better. And then I have to apologize. Honey, I'm sorry. There's something about when we come to the Father and we get in a line with what He's doing. It just changes. All of these things, if you read in Romans 8 before all of this, it talks about suffering. We don't want to preach on suffering, right? We suffer. These people suffered way more than we suffer. Boo-hoo, we don't have the nicest car. Boo-hoo, we don't make $14, we make $12 an hour. And I'm not trying to downplay it, but guys... It's about Him. We get so distracted with all these things. It's about Him. And when we keep our eyes on Him, $12 sounds really good. Because it doesn't matter because it's about Him. 
So we're going to pray for just a second. And what I want us to do is to think about those feelings that we have. I feel unworthy. I feel unloved. I feel lonely. I feel like you betrayed me, Lord. I feel like you forgot me. I feel mad at you because of whatever. And I want us to just take those feelings to the Lord and say, here's how I feel. But here's what I know. And begin to speak those scriptures that you know. I know that you have a plan for me. I know that you love me. I know that you called me. Kara just read it. You called me. You predestined. You conformed me to your image. And I want us to change our thinking and change what we're looking at from our feelings versus what we know.